Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. What shall we as the church, as the people of God, say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? As Christians, we cannot love the very thing that Jesus saved us from. A married man shouldn't run to the arms of a former lover. A freed man shouldn't run back to a life of slavery. And a Christian should not run back to sin. So why, church, do we do that? Jesus saved us from sin, not for sin. Yet the church treats the sacrifice of Christ like a credit card to be able to sin. Jesus saved us to set us apart from the world, to make us different, to make us holy. But by allowing sin into our personal lives, we are no different from the world. If we continue to allow sin into our lives, we as the church will be rendered useless just like King Saul. Listen to what James 4, verse 7 says in regards to sin. James 4, 7, write it down and read it later if you want to. But listen to what it says in regards to sin as a message to the church. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Unless the church starts to resist sin, we will continue on the same downward slope that King Saul did. Unless we change something, we will also suffer the same consequences as Saul. And the Spirit of God will start to torment us rather than to bring us peace. If sin is the thing that separates us from God, why do we embrace it? Like, really? Why, church? Why do we love our sin? We should really be following in Christ's example and resist the sin that so easily ensnares us. That's the first area of obedience, the first example of obedience that we're going to look at, and that is Christ's resistance to sin. The second area of Christ's obedience is Christ's obedience in submission. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. It's going to be a few pages to the right if you kept your finger and look. With that, we're going to see as Christ resisted sin, we're also going to see him submit to God. He perfectly exemplified what James 4, 7 is calling us to do as Christians. Now, to give you a little bit of background as you're turning there to Luke chapter 22, we're going to see Jesus. And he's in a moment where he obviously knows what God has called him to do, and that is to go to the cross and die for a rebellious creation. But we're going to see the mental anguish that Jesus went through before he went to the cross. Hopefully you're there in Luke chapter 22 by now. Go ahead and look down at verse 39. And you guys can follow along as I read this. It says, And he, that's Jesus, came out 
and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. Verse 40. And when he came to the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Pause right there. We're going to continue reading. But just so you guys can understand, when Jesus is saying, Father, let this cup pass from me, he's referring to the wrath of God that he's about to take on the cross. Go ahead and look at verse 43. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And listen to this. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to his disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Many of us know how the story continues after this. Jesus is betrayed by Judas. He goes to a cross and he is the perfect sacrifice for all of humanity that we could be restored to a relationship with God. As Jesus ended up on the cross, we tend to sometimes think that that is all where his suffering was. But in reality, very rarely, do we pause and think about what Jesus went through before the moment of the cross. The suffering of Jesus for humanity did not begin on the cross, but rather the suffering of Jesus began in the garden. The name of that garden is Gethsemane, where Jesus was right now in Luke chapter 22. I love the way that Pastor John Corson puts it. He says, In the garden of Eden, the first Adam stood in rebellion against God. In Gethsemane, the last Adam, Jesus, knelt in submission to God. In the garden of Eden, the first Adam was sentenced to work by the sweat of his brow. And in Gethsemane, the last Adam agonized so deeply that blood flowed from his brow. Jesus knew very clearly what the will of the Father was, and that was to go to a cross to die for rebellious creation. Now, Jesus did not desire to suffer in this way. He didn't. He did not want to go to the cross and suffer. But as the time drew nearer, the reality became more stressful. And as the reality became more stressful, the son submitted all the more. Rather than stand in disobedience and rebellion, he knelt in obedience and humility. The word Gethsemane, the garden where Jesus was, literally means oil press. And I've had the privilege and blessing to be able to go to Israel and see these oil presses. It's a very incredible sight. But it also gives us a very graphic picture of what Jesus went through in that garden. Jesus was truly pressed. Look at verse 44 again. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Many scholars will come to one of two conclusions of what verse 44 means in talking about this great stress that Jesus was under, specifically about his sweat. The first conclusion is some scholars will say that Jesus was suffering from a condition known as, I'm going to try and pronounce this, hematohydrosis. I think I said that right. In other words, what it means is when a person is under so much stress, the capillaries in their forehead begin to pop and blood literally starts to trickle down their forehead. And it can only happen under extreme intense pressure and stress for a person. It's a very rare condition. But other scholars will look at this verse and they'll say that Luke is using a simile, trying to explain that Jesus is sweating so much that the sweat is pouring from him like blood from a gash wound. Either way, it's obvious that Luke is highlighting the mental stress that Jesus is under in this very moment. Jesus didn't want to suffer the way that was necessary for all of humanity. 
However, with that, despite what Jesus wanted, he submitted to the will of the Father. Even though it was uncomfortable, even though it was painful, Jesus did what God wanted. And as the church, I think that we've fallen into this idea that we think that disobedience to God only applies to sinful behaviors. However, that's not the case. I want to give you guys an example like this. If I go over to my wife and I say, hey, babe, let's go ahead and go out to the movies. And she's like, oh, yeah, that sounds great, babe. And so we're about to get in the car, and I, I have all my kids. I bring them into the room. And I say, kids, what I need you to do is don't watch any TV while we're gone and also do all of your chores. And we go, we watch a movie, we get dinner. And then when we get back, if I go over to my kids and I say, all right, kids, did you do what you're supposed to do? And they say, yeah, I didn't watch any TV. Well, did you do your chores? No. Well, then you didn't do what you were supposed to be doing. James chapter 4, verse 17, if you guys want to write this down in your notes and read it later, I'd very much encourage you to. But listen to what it says in James 4, verse 17. It says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. As God's children, he has not only given us things that we are not supposed to do, but he has also given us things that we should be doing. Do you realize that if you are not spreading the gospel, then you are sinning? Do you not realize that if the Lord leads you to speak to someone sitting alone at church, but you refuse to do it because it's awkward, that is sin? We've gotten this idea in the church that if it's something that's uncomfortable, then it couldn't possibly be the will of God for my life. And yet we see Jesus in the garden going through the most uncomfortable, painful, stressful situation. Rather than do what God has clearly called us to do as the church, we make like Jonah in the Old Testament and we run away from God. In a rebellious spirit, we get on our knees and we don't pray, God, let thy will be done. We pray, God, let my will be done. But that is complete opposite to what the children of God should be doing. As God's children, we should be more like Jesus and do that which God has called us to do. You can clap for that. Amen. Yes. Not only should we not be gossiping, we should be seeking reconciliation. Not only should we avoid being rude, but we should actually be kind. Not only should we live peaceably with others, we should also be preaching the gospel. The reason why the church is dying in America, the reason why the church has lost so much ground is because we don't do what we're supposed to be doing. And that's the problem, church. And my heart breaks for it. We have slipped away from being a church that does and we've become a church that does not. And I hate to say this, but why is Kids Church struggling to find volunteers? Let's talk about it. Let's get real. Christ was not only our example in resistance, he was our perfect example in submission to the will of the Father. But as the church, we don't submit. We just don't. We like the part of Christianity that's comfortable, but we avoid the parts of Christianity that's uncomfortable. My dad used to always say it like this, either Jesus is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Let me say that again and let this sink in. Either Jesus is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Listen to what Romans 10, 9 says in regards to how salvation comes into the life of a believer. Just so that way you guys can be reminded of how a person becomes saved. Listen to Romans 10, 9. Man, I did so many tabs, it's hard to navigate them. Listen to what Romans 10, 9 says. 
Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That verse declares two very important realities that need to enter into the heart of a person before they can be restored to a relationship with God and saved from the pits of hell. This verse tells us that you need to acknowledge, one, Jesus as your Savior, that he died for us, rose again, and took the penalty for our sins. But two, you need to acknowledge him as the Lord. He needs to be your Savior, and he also needs to be your Lord. The Greek word for that literally means master. We love the idea of Jesus saving us from hell, but we can't stand the idea of Jesus lording over our lives. As the church, we need to submit to Jesus. Too long have we sat on the sidelines and cried with passion that Jesus is our Savior. Yes, Jesus, you went to a cross for me. Yes, Jesus, you died for my sins. Yes, Jesus, you saved me from the pits of hell. But maybe as the church, we should be crying with the same passion that, yes, Lord, I will submit, I will bow, and I will give you my life completely, no matter what that costs, even unto death. If you look at the deaths of the apostles, the people who were closest with Jesus, I don't think it was very comfortable for them to get beheaded or to be crucified upside down. And we need to enter into that same type of uncomfortable living for the Lord. That complete, utter submission, saying, God, my life is yours. In fact, I was going to bring up this verse later, but I'm going to bring it up now. Listen to what Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says. This is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. It says, this is Paul talking, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We're going to come back to that verse later. But until the church really submits to Jesus as Lord, we will continue to be useless, just like Saul. Now, like I said, before we move on into the next point, we're going to look at three critical moments when Jesus was obedient. And we have one more to get through. We've looked at two. The third moment leads us into our second overall point, though. So we looked at the examples of obedience. Now let's talk about the motivation for obedience. You see, Christ was obedient in resistance. Christ was obedient in submission. But he was also obedient in another way that should inspire us to also be obedient. What is the motivation for obedience? Turn in your Bibles over to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And this is a very common verse read in the church quite often. The author of Hebrews is going to use the Christian life and compare it to a person running track. And I'd like you to keep that mental picture in your mind as we're reading this verse. Think of a track star with a very specific goal and finish line in mind as we read these verses. Look at Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 4. If you're not there yet, just go ahead and write it down and read it later as we read this, just so that way you can hear it. But listen to what Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 4 says. Therefore, since we, as Christians, as the people of God, are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now listen to verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from such sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. 
It is God's sacrifice that motivates us to come and follow him. And it is also God's sacrifice that motivates us to keep on following him. When Jesus died on the cross, he suffered in three ways on the cross. We're not going to get into too much detail, but if you want to write these down, maybe do some homework later, that'd be awesome. But the first way that Jesus suffered at the point of his death was one, he died the death of a sinner. You can write down Galatians 3.13 and read it later. It talks about how cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And we see that Jesus died the death of a sinner. Jesus died the cursed death of a sinner. The death that we should have died. The second thing, so he died the death of a sinner. The second area of how he suffered was separation from the Father. Separation from the Father. Matthew 27, verses 45 through 50. John MacArthur gets really well into it, into his commentary. And he says, it's a type of miracle that we couldn't possibly understand. If Jesus, being in perfect unity with the Father, having the perfect relationship with the Father, can you imagine how it felt for those six hours being separated from God the Father? And he was separated Because of us, because of our sin, because of Cameron's sin, Jesus was separated from the Father. We see that Jesus suffered the separation from the Father that we deserved. This was a great miracle on the cross that we can't possibly fathom with our finite minds. Thirdly, third area where he suffered on the cross, he received the wrath of the Father. This is seen in John 18, verse 11, when Jesus is telling Peter, shall I not receive the cup which is before me? The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus on that cross. And really the wrath of God should have been poured out on us. That's why we're all going to hell. That's why we all deserve judgment. It's only because of our sin that Jesus went through what he did so that way we wouldn't have to suffer separation, death, and the wrath of God. It is the death of God that drives us to obey him and it is also the death of God that causes us to fall in love with him. But what does this all have to do with obedience? What does all of this have to do with obedience? Write down this verse, and I would encourage you to try and memorize it later. John 14, 15. Jesus says, those who love me, obey my commandments. Now, if we took that verse and we really applied it, how different would the church look today? Looking at the kindness of God in all that he paid for us, how can we not be drawn into perfect obedience? Like I read earlier, Galatians 2.20, where Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave his life for me. Romans 5.8 tells us that God demonstrates his perfect love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In acknowledging the great love of God and what that was poured out and shown on the cross, how can we not live in obedience? God, you gave up so much for me. Why would I not do all that you ask? God, you gave up so much for me. Why would I continue to live in sin? I want to live my life for the God that loved me and gave himself for me. And I hope and I pray that that would be the heart of the church here at Christ's community. But the problem in the church is that we have truly rejected Christ. The very church that Jesus founded has pushed him away. We push him away by saying yes to the things that he told us not to do. We push him away by blatantly saying no to the things he has called us to do. 
We like to sit here and criticize the outside world for everything that's going wrong with it, yet we're participating in the same wickedness that put Jesus on the cross. When we continue in disobedience, we grab Jesus by his bloodied beard and we say, thanks, but I want a little more. The church was founded to change the world, not become a part of it. And if we are going to be the difference that God intended as the church, we need to start worshiping God in the highest form, and that is obedience. We have become disobedient because our eyes have drifted from the cross of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're hearing about the sacrifice that Jesus gave for you for the first time, and you want to come and follow him. Maybe you've been trying to be a good person. You've tried to quit whatever addiction you're fallen into. You've tried to do all the good things that a good person is supposed to do. You've tried to be a good parent. Let me tell you that it is through the Holy Spirit that you can become obedient. And you only receive the Holy Spirit when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. It is through the Holy Spirit that you can have eternal life. If you're sitting here today and you don't know Jesus, and you don't even know that much about his life, but you're sitting here and you're thinking, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to be separated from God forever. If Jesus took that judgment and I don't have to, I don't want any part of that. That gift is there for you today. If you are a believer and you're sitting here and you're realizing that you've been living in disobedience, whether it's through sin or just not doing what you're supposed to do, I want to encourage you to come back to Jesus today. Because he loves you and he wants you. In fact, let's go ahead and turn to one more verse today. Over to Hebrews chapter 4. Look at what the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4. And this calling goes to everyone sitting in this room today. If you are far from God because you have never given your life to Jesus, I encourage you, you can draw near to God today. If you're a Christian and you are far from God because you have not been doing what you're supposed to be doing, I want to encourage you, you can draw near to God today. Today is the day that salvation can come into your life no matter where you're at in life. Look at what Hebrews, yes, yes, that is the good news. That is the gospel. Look at what Hebrews chapter four, verses 14 through 16 says. This is talking about Jesus. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence, confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Let me tell you, we don't have a God that cannot sympathize with us. He's not like Zeus. He's not like the gods of old that are false. Jesus knows what you're going through. And that is a great blessing. And that should draw us to him. That means, that, that entire verse means, look at our high priest, look at Jesus, look at all that he went through. This is a calling to come and bow your knee and say, God, I messed up and you know why, you know how, and I'm sorry. That is the calling today, Christians. And the church is not going to change. The church is going to continue to be useless until we determine in our hearts, I will be obedient as a Christian. I will stand up for the Lord. I will lay down my life for Jesus Christ. That is when the church starts to make a difference. It's very easy to clap in a room full of Christians but it is very hard to live that out day by day. 
alone in your room to say no to that phone that is calling you to look at porn, to say no to that cigarette that wants to draw you back, to say no to that anger that's riling up in you, and to say yes to Jesus. But there is hope. There's a throne of grace that we can come to. As imperfect humans, we have a perfect God that loves us and is going to help us in our times of need. And right now, as we enter into worship, we're going to have baptisms. Maybe you've even been disobedient in that. You've never got baptized as a Christian. You can be obedient right now. I want to tell you this. If you have been disobedient and you want to draw near to God, if you have no relationship with God, you can have one today. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the ccciv.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.